Advent is a season. Uh, I never grew up with Advent, as a matter of fact, when I was growing up in my uh, evangelical kind of uh, charismatic setting. I, we didn't do Advent. I don't know why. But I love Advent. Advent is basically the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And um, we are actually going to spend all fall doing Advent. Now, we can't light that many candles. The place would burn down. <laughs> so <laughs> we're just going to do, you know, we will do our traditional four for Sundays of Advent, but um, the reason I'm calling this sort of a season or the fall season of Advent is because um, all of the covenants which we are going to be studying in our study are leading us to uh, the birth of Jesus Christ. See, all of the covenants lead to or are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so it's sort of a series on Advent of Advent in that it's sort of working up to uh, Christmas and Jesus Christ come. Last week we took a look at uh, God's very first covenant. And uh, we called it uh, the Edenic or Edenic covenant. And it was God's commandments to man before the fall. And so we had this incredible setting, the Garden of Eden, and God is communing with his creation, Adam and Eve. And God gives some commandments. And essentially, uh, what this covenant was, was a, a conditional covenant. God was saying, you can enjoy paradise. Every single need that you have can be met. There's one condition. And that is that you submit to my authority. And uh, we know that that didn't go well. <laughs> because, in fact, uh, that was one condition too many, apparently for us, um, and uh, yeah, Adam and Eve didn't want to um, submit entirely to the authority of God. And so that leads us to the Adamic covenant, which is um, obviously related to Adam, and it's God's covenant with man after the fall. God's covenant with man after the fall. Remember, a covenant is God's uh, imposing conditions on uh, his relationship with us. And uh, he does this not because he's um, a strong-arm kind of God who likes to sort of like command people and um, sort of, you know, play with them and make them do stuff that amuse him. Uh, he does this for our benefit and for his glory. And so this covenant, the Adamic covenant, um, is just like that. And so we're going to read about it in Genesis 3. And I've got the words up here because um, the words on my sheet are actually in the King James, the New King James, and they're a little bit different. So I thought this would be more clear. So I'll just read Genesis 3, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, which is eating from the tree that they weren't supposed to eat, in essence saying, we don't want to accept your authority. Uh, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. So he said that to the serpent. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman he said, I'll make your pains in childbearing very severe. Sorry, Deborah. 
had to bring it up the week you're supposed to deliver. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through the painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Now we're going to fast forward to Genesis 3, verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden, from paradise, to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So we're going to just, once again, do a summary, and I, I'm not responsible, or I wish I was responsible, I wish I was this smart, but I'm going to just summarize using someone else's summary of this covenant, and then we'll get to our points. The following aspects of the covenant applied to Adam. Adam is ulti ultimately held responsible for his sin and man's judgment. Adam would experience a cursed ground. Work would become difficult and hard. He was made of dust, and his sin affected the dust of the earth from which he came and would also return. Adam would die. The following aspects of the covenant applied to Eve. The woman would have increased sorrow and pain in the birth of children, and a power struggle would emerge between man and woman, and the man would rule over the woman in a way that was different from the social order of the garden. The following aspects of the covenant apply to the serpent as a creature. So this is to the animal. The serpent is cursed more than any other animal. The serpent would be forced to crawl on his belly on the granite. And then finally, the following aspects of the covenant apply to the serpent as Satan. There would be perpetual hatred between him and the offspring of women. There would be a specific conflict between the seed of the woman when you see the word seed, you should be thinking offspring. There should be a specific conflict between the offspring of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The woman's seed would crush the serpent's head, though he would bruise the heel of the seed. The fact that the serpent could only bruise the heel indicates just how lowly the serpent would be. He could not inflict an injury any more significant than this. Furthermore, the bruised heel would crush his head. So I've uh, presented a rubric into which we are putting each of these covenants. A rubric is a way of sort of breaking down um, and understanding these covenants. And the, the, basically, this is the rubric that we're going to set each of our covenants against. The covenants of God are both conditional and unconditional. Right? Uh, conditional being um, God's promises are contingent upon an appropriate response. Unconditional 
covenants are those in which God says, this is how it's going to be. Secondly, the covenants of God are imposed by God for our benefit and his glory. So we've said that already. And then finally, the covenants progressively explain Jesus Christ and his mission. They point to, lead to, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's why this is an expanded season of Advent. So let's just now take a look at the Advent covenant and see how it fits into our rubric. So the, the actual word covenant, mm-hmm. the definition, is it like his laws, his rules? Yeah, his, his rules. Think about that. So the covenants of God are both conditional and unconditional. So the Adamic covenant, this new covenant that we're looking at today, unlike the one we looked at last week, the Edenic covenant, was unconditional. In other words, the Edenic covenant was conditional. You can stay in paradise as long as, this is the condition, you uh, acknowledge and recognize my authority. This is an unconditional one. And that is, this is how it's going to be. This is your new reality. Okay? And so it's, the Adamic is an unconditional um, covenant. It was entirely imposed by God. And it was a result of God of man's disobedience. Adam and Eve, humanity could not alter these terms. This was the new reality. Think of it this way. Man exchanged paradise for a penalty. Man exchanged paradise for penalty. Included in the judgment was death. Remember, that was the condition. If you sin, you will die. And remember last week we talked about the fact that that is the first inklings of the story of Jesus Christ. That death would be part of that story. Because as God was working out his plan of redemption for the world... Death would have to be part of the equation because the consequence of sin is death. And so Adam died. Death was a part of it. There were also other consequences related to this unconditional covenant, the Adamic covenant. Hard labor. Hard labor for man. Hard labor for women. Right? Man would work the fields, and it would be hard work. Not like in the garden, when everything was so fulfilling and so uh, completely enjoyable. Even labor. This labor now would be hard work. And sometimes there would be poor results for your work. And for women, the hard labor, of course, was in childbearing and and delivering children. There would be animosity. There would be animosity between man and Satan. A conflict. And there would be animosity between man and 
and woman. And it says that man would rule over women. That's not rule in a nice benefactory kind of way. <laughs> That's rule as in this kind of rule. And women would not ex accept that and would seek to overthrow, get their own, so to speak. And so these are the consequences of the fall. Think about it. Has anything really changed? Think about it. Has anything really changed? You know, we, we can't wait till retirement. Women still struggle with men and babies. <laughs> there is animosity. There is a struggle. Right? And so it just speaks to the fact that God's declaration to Adam and Eve at the garden was unconditional. This is how it's going to be. And that's why we shouldn't be surprised that this is how it is. Because it was unconditional. Which makes us wonder a little bit about the second plank of our rubric. How can it possibly be true that the covenants of God are imposed by God for our benefit? <laughs> I mean, that's a laundry list of bad stuff. How can that be beneficial to us? And for his glory. I want to take a look at the glory part. How is God glorified through the Adamic covenant? This, this declaration by God. Well, I think it's pretty clear. We can see in the judgment that God gave to Adam and Eve. That God's glory is amplified. His sovereignty, for instance. His authority to exact justice is clearly seen. His holiness, his insistence on the awfulness of sin is seen in his judgment. And in his judgment we see his providence, his prerogative, if you will, to bring about his purposes over time, clearly in the judgment, he is in the driver's seat and he is still in control. But what about us? What about humanity? How can the judgment benefit us? Well, I think we're really losing track of an important principle in our current age. And that is this, that Deprivation or depriving someone of something can be beneficial. Discipline or, or corrective measures can be beneficial. Consequences can be beneficial. See, we see consequences in this day and age for bad behavior as, as kind of harsh and unloving. We consider discipline heavy-handed and mean-spirited, and we question the one who 
provides the discipline. And our tolerance for depriving ourselves or others is very short-lived. Just this week you saw on the news, and this really ticks me off, but you saw on the news this week that the Olympic Committee has lifted all the sanctions against Russia. Russia didn't meet one of those sanctions or do anything corrective. They didn't change anything, and the Olympic Committee said, well, you can join us. But that's the spirit of this age. Our tolerance for depriving people of something as a result of their bad behavior is very short-lived. But I want you to know that deprivation, depriving, discipline, and consequences are a result of, as a result of bad behavior is scriptural and godly. And this is how we need to look at the judgment of God or the Adamic covenant of God to Adam after the fall. We are to look at it as a negative. We're to look at it as a positive. More to that. Depriving humanity of the beauty of the garden. Disciplining humanity for disobedience. Insisting on consequences for their rebellion. Should be viewed as beneficial for humanity. Yeah, I mean, we'd be right, you know, if, if God was simply doling out punishment with no hint of re rehabilitation. <laughs> but when we see that he's not just doling out punishment and then going, and he's gone, but we see that he doles out the punishment, and then what does he do? He makes clothing, right, for these folks, and he continues in the relationship then we can see that the deprivation, the discipline, the consequences are beneficial. And there's something here that we start to see about God, which starts to make us think about the third thing, and that is that everything leads to Christ. And that is this. There's a key guiding principle of God in his relationship with us. And scripture says this over and over and over and over again, and yet we tend to edit it or <laughs> editorialize it. We tend to skew it a bit. But God has repeatedly proclaimed that he is kind, he is gracious, he is slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. You can be kind, and you can be gracious. You can be slow to anger. You can be abounding in love, and you can kick someone out of the garden of Eden. We don't like that talk in this day and age. But that's from God. It's beneficial. It's for our rehabilitation. It's to bring us back into that relationship that God so dearly wants for us. So the judgment was not the final condemnation, but a gracious means of continuing the love relationship. 
Judgment didn't sever the relationship. It was used by God as a teachable moment. What were the lessons? I am sure that Adam and Eve walked away from paradise knowing one thing for sure. I'm not God. He is. I am sure they understood that if I'm disobedient, there will be consequences. That sin is corrosive and it's terrible. That Satan is not for us, but against us. That he lied to us. And that God is a God of grace. And what we did did not forever sever our relationship with him. He's still part of our reality, though our reality has changed hugely because of the consequences of our sin. So the judgment, hear this, the judgment, unlike the carrot of the garden life, was the stick meant to bring about rehabilitation of a broken relationship. Judgment, unlike the carrot of the garden, was a stick meant to bring about the rehabilitation of that broken relationship. So we said the Adamic covenant is unconditional. It was imposed by God for his glory and his benefit. Finally, the covenants of God progressively explain Jesus Christ and his mission. This is the Advent piece. Did you know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is found in Genesis 3.15? It is. In fact, the passage is considered by theologians as the, now this is haughty toddy. You can use this this afternoon if you're trying to impress somebody. Proto-evangelum. It's proto-evangelum. Which simply means it's the first gospel. Genesis 3.15. What was Genesis 3.15? God says to Satan, the offspring of the woman will crush your head. Oh yeah. You'll strike his heel. You'll bruise him. But he's going to crush your head. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, isn't it? In a sentence. And so in fact, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ found in the first little section of our Bible, Genesis 3, 15. Here God is saying that the woman's offspring will triumph over Satan, despite Satan's efforts to destroy him. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that promise. This is universally accepted. That Genesis 3.15 is foreshadowing of what happened on the cross. He was bruised for our iniquities. But he was devastated. Satan was devastated. 
because of what Christ did on the cross. He lost. He was defeated. He was destroyed. And ultimately, we know that this is going to play out because here we are 2,000 years later and Satan's still going around acting like he's the king of the world. But he's not. He's lost. He's just taken down as many as he can because one day he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's his eternity. There's no question that Jesus Christ is the seed in question. He was bruised for our iniquities, but ultimately he has crushed Satan. And this is why Genesis 3.15 is the first gospel. It also explains why Christ was fully man. Why didn't... I mean, this is a weird concept. Why didn't God just show up? Why did he have to be, you know, spend nine months in Mary? Why did he have to be fully man? Well, it goes back to Genesis 3.15. The offspring will crush your head. You see it? Are you not inspired by the fact that God's word is unquestionably reasonable and makes sense? And as you go through the Old Testament and you read about these prophets and these judges, you just sort of say, what in the world has this got to do with me living in 2018? Look closer, my friend. It all has to do with you living in 2018. Clearly, we see that the Adamic covenant progressively explains Jesus Christ and his mission. So just to close, what's the big idea? Well, there's several. The Adamic Covenant teaches us that our sin does not have to sever our relationship with God. This is where you get the first glimpse of grace. I mean, sure, it was there in the garden because God is God and he's just lavishing these people with wonderful things. That was gracious. But here they have done something unforgivable that deserved death. And they didn't get killed right away. They got clothing. The grace of God. And so we know from that that our sin doesn't have to sever our relationship with God. That God is kind, slow to anger, abounding in love, gracious. Secondly, God is gracious, kind, slow to anger, abounding in love, and has planned a way for us to enjoy an eternity in his loving relationship. So there's a plan to this. God governs his, himself in how he responded to Adam. Instead of just wiping them off the face of the earth, he started to unpackage how he was going to bring a savior into the world. And it would be through the seed of a woman. We need to accept that there will be consequences for our sin, but that they're for our benefit. Deprivation, consequences, discipline, it's for our benefit. And then I feel, and I, uh, you know, as I study this, I just 
believe that we should all, it should mean something to each one of us that our, that our present experience, this, this great life that we enjoy in Christ, you know, knowing that we are absolved, we are free, we are, sin no longer has any power over us, that we are in Christ, all of the benefits and the riches of all of that, all of it, started before time and was skillfully revealed over the history of humanity. So that's the Adamic covenant. You see how it relates to Christmas? Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, I thank you for your word, which is so powerful, so consistent, so meaningful. Thank you, Lord, that it reveals truth to us and that there isn't, uh, it, it doesn't reverse itself or turn back on itself, but that it's always forward thinking and it always leads us to Jesus Christ. The Lord, help us as we study these covenants to be open to the great truths of your great plan for us. Lord, I just pray that we would appreciate the fact that you could have walked away from Adam, but you didn't. Help us to understand that there are consequences for our sin, but not to take that as hatred or condemnation, but as beneficial. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. It's awesome. Amen. Have a great day.